Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Who's been enjoying this series? I know that I have. You know what? It's actually been six weeks. It's almost like, where did that go? Blink and missed. And yet what I do know is that we could preach on this topic for years and still only barely scratch the surface of what God has done for us and the identity that we find in Him. Because our thinking is so critical to what we experience. We actually live out our thinking. So who do you think you are is actually more important than who I think you are. It's actually even more important than who God says that you are because you will experience your thinking. Just for a moment, just for a moment, just imagine that you inherited a mansion. Ooh, now I've got your attention. Huge house, as many bedrooms as you would like, as many bathrooms as you like, and those that clean the whole thing are going, oh no, but as many servants as you like. The ground's perfectly manicured. You've inherited this mansion. But because you don't feel worthy, you pitch a tent in the front yard and live out of the tent. Now you're laughing at me going, Ashley, who would ever do that? You know what? We do that with our thinking all the time. You see, God has created this mansion for us. And yet if we don't feel worthy... We don't move into the mansion. We live in the tent out the front. You see, we've been talking about some amazing topics. That I'm a child of God. Do you know where a child lives? In the mansion. Experiencing all the love and all the forgiveness, all the provision of God. If we, if we allow our thinking to limit us, we don't experience the mansion that God has for us. And we live below what God wants us to live. We downplay the mansion. God wants us to experience the mansion today. And that's why throughout this series, we've been talking about discovering our true identity in Christ because your true identity is living in the mansion. So let's not downgrade the mansion to the tent in the front yard. Let's take all that God has for us. You see, all the way through, we've said that identity precedes activity. In other words, we can't do what God is calling us to do unless we know who God has made us to be. You see, if we don't get that revelation, we miss out on what God wants to do in us and what God wants to do through us. You see, we've been talking also out of Proverbs that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You see, information isn't enough. It's as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You might have information. You might know these things about God. But if we don't have it in our heart, then we lose the real impact that it's going to have in our lives. 
So this morning, let's quickly turn to John chapter 15, verse 15. I no longer call you servants. This is Jesus speaking. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learnt from my father, I have made known to you. And so today, we're going to be looking at I am a friend of God. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think I am a friend of God. But to me, it's quite weak, really. It's like, Ashley, come on, we've talked about I am saved strong. I am chosen strong. I'm an heir strong. Oh, I'm an heir. I'm in the mansion. Woohoo! Strong. I'm a child of God. Strong. I'm a friend. You serious? It's almost like primary school. You know, hey, I'm Ashley. Will you be my friend? Or it gets worse, really, because before primary school, there are those demonic TV shows that are on, like Barney and Friends. This big purple dinosaur. Hey! I'll be your friend. You can be my friend. Let's all sing together. We are friends. We are friends. Come on! Friends, it, it sounds so weak. It sounds so limp. Where's the strength in being a friend of God? You see, what we have here is actually an issue of language change. Over the past 20 to 25 years, the English language has changed dramatically and mostly through technology. You see, when mobile phones first came out, bear with us, old people's story. <laughs> when mobile phones first came out, we used to get charged 25 cents per text message. Who remembers? 25 cents per text message. 165 characters. 25 cents. It's not like nowadays. Nowadays, calls and SMSs are all free. They get you on the data. Back in the day, it used to be on the calls and the text. 25 cents for any text message. And so therefore, we wanted to make sure that every text message was one message. <laughs> right? Because I don't want to pay 50 cents <laughs> to communicate. I want to pay 25. And so everything got abbreviated. My personal pet hate... Would of, could of, and should of. No, it's have people. Would have, could have, should have. Not of. As I was scrolling through something the other week, an advert popped up. You know, you can actually now get the Grammarly keyboard. You can type whatever you want, hit a button, and the Grammarly keyboard goes back through and changes everything to be correct. Free advert. There you go, people. For those of you would ofs, could ofs, and should ofs that you're sending me in a text message, Grammarly keyboard. And let's face it, social media hasn't helped. 
what does a Facebook friend really mean? Nothing. <laughs> a Facebook friend could be a friend, or it could be someone that you met once at a conference somewhere, or it could be someone that you knew from primary school who you haven't seen in 40 years. A Facebook friend doesn't help. You know what? Instagrams actually know better. Instagram doesn't have friends. Instagrams has followers. But when you say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, looks entirely different to a follower on Instagram. In both platforms, what it really means is that occasionally when you're on them, you may see something that someone posted. That's what it means. But friend, it's weak. And so I thought, you know what? I know how I can actually find some strength to this word friend. And so I called up a thesaurus. Anyone know what a thesaurus is? No, it's, no, it's not Barney the dinosaur. That's something else entirely different. I called up the thesaurus and I said, okay, cool. Tell me all the words that I could substitute in for friend. And you know what the thesaurus told me? Nothing any good. <laughs> Here is the words that I could swap in for friend. I could swap in acquaintance, ally, associate, buddy, classmate, or colleague. It's still so weak. Hey, I'm a buddy of God. Really? I'm a colleague of God. So, so where does the strength actually come from in being called a friend of God? Well, it actually comes out of who God is and what he has done for us. You see, when we start talking about who God is, God is omniscient. That means that he knows everything. Where do we go when we want to find out something? Google. Google is a collection of our wisdom. That's it. The best of humans' thought process. But God is all-knowing. God trumps Google every time. And often we make the mistake of going to Google when we should be going to God. God is omniscient. God is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. Now, when I was at school, I was one of those weird kids. <laughs> I know you find that hard to believe, right? <laughs> I was one of those weird kids. I liked school. I was good at maths. I was good at science. Not so good at English, but that's okay. Don't talk about PE, that's fine. <laughs> but I really liked school. I enjoyed school. I thrived in the school environment. But I was also bullied through school because there were other people who weren't so good at school and didn't like the fact that I was. And so I got bullied through school and it was a tough time. But actually what stopped the bullying was one year I met a friend who was a really strong friend. And the bullying stopped when I got a strong friend who would stick up for me and advocate on my behalf. We have the strongest friend ever in God, all-powerful, 
wanting to work on our behalf, wanting to step in the gap for us. That's where the strength of being a friend of God comes from. God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere all at the same time. You know, that strong friend that I got during school, he wasn't there all the time. And so there were some times that didn't go so well for me. But God, our strong friend, is always with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. That's the strength of being a friend of God. The strength also comes out of what he has done for us. In Romans 5, verse 8 to 10, it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So the thesaurus let me down. I had this weak definition of friends. And so what I did was I looked at the antonyms of friend. So the synonyms were all the words I could substitute in for friend. The antonyms are the words that would describe the opposite of being a friend. And the antonyms are far stronger. The antonyms of being a friend are being an antagonist, being an enemy, being a foe, being an opponent. Where does the strength come from in being God's friend? It's not just in that I'm called God's friend. It's in the transition that I was his enemy. I was his foe. I was an antagonist of God. And yet through Jesus Christ and what he did for me on the cross, I've now been transitioned into being God's friend. From an enemy to a friend, from an antagonist to a friend. You see, I've been reconciled to God. That's what that means. Reconciled means taken from enemy to friend. That scripture says, I've been justified, which means that my sins aren't counted against me. And the scripture also says that I've been saved from wrath. The very significance of Easter right there. Reconciled, justified, and saved. See, it almost sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? We're talking about love and wrath in the same passage, but it's not a contradiction at all. You see, God is madly and passionately in love with you, but the sin that is in my life has caused separation between me and God, and it's that sin that deserves God's wrath. But the good news is God, God just can't do a bait and switch. God is just, God is holy. It's not like he can quickly go, hey, look over there, let's sweep the sin aside. God can't do that. What he did was to say, hey, there's a penalty, a death penalty that's hanging over my head. It's got to be paid by someone. And if I can't pay it myself, then let's substitute in Jesus who can pay that for me, who can take that death penalty for me. 
You know what? When I was growing up in the country, there were a couple of older ladies in my church. I've got to be honest with you, most of my church were older ladies, but let's not talk about that. There were a couple of older ladies in my church who used to say to me from time to time, hey, Ashley, look, you want to be a good boy because you want to avoid God's wrath. You know what? God's wrath isn't like this penalty, this this thing to be held over me just in case I keep me on the right track. See, as a Christian, I never have to worry about God's wrath again. Because God's wrath for me was nailed to the cross, the same cross that Jesus Christ died on for me. I never have to fear God's wrath because it's already been dealt with. You see, we come into this tension, if you like, between what is positional and what is practical. You see, Scripture very clearly says is that he has positioned me as a friend of God. In actual fact, when Jesus was here on earth, it was one of the accusations that the religious leaders kept throwing at Jesus. Uh, look, he's a friend of sinners and a friend of tax collectors. I don't know about you. Thank you, Jesus, for being a friend of sinners because I really need that. God has positionally made me his friend. But any friendship is a two-way relationship. And so practically speaking, how do I be a friend of God just as God is a friend to me? And the answer is actually very simple. It's actually not very different to how we do natural friendships. And so the first thing, you know what friends do? Friends meet. Captain Obvious. <laughs> friends meet. We meet all the time. We go out for coffee. We meet in families. We meet in smaller groups. We might have sporting clubs. Friends meet all the time. And I don't know about you, but sometimes people, not sometimes, come up to me and say, hey, look, can we catch up? What's the first thing you need to do? Calendar. Thank goodness it's all on your phone nowadays, hey? The phone comes out and we schedule a time so that we can make sure that we can actually meet. How about with God? Do you regularly schedule time to meet with Him? Is that schedule set or is that schedule negotiable? Who's ever tried to catch up with someone and they keep cancelling on you? Frustrating, right? What's happening here? A bit of guilt going on right here. <laughs> it's frustrating, right? But how often have we scheduled time with God only to allow something else to crowd it out yeah. and for us not to actually meet with Him? In fact, I would go so far as to say that whatever stops you meeting with God, expect it to keep happening. If your kids are always sick on a Sunday and that stops you from being at church, well, guess what's going to happen? Your kids are going to be sick every Sunday. If your arthritis plays up on you every time you try to get up out of bed in the morning to read your Bible, well, guess what? 
expect it to keep playing up on you. Why? Because God isn't our enemy anymore. He's our friend. But we do have an enemy. And that enemy wants us to not meet with God. And so he will architect anything needed to stop you from meeting with him. Do you know what? It happens personally in our homes, but it also happens corporately. We're called to meet as the church together, not just in this gathering, but also in our connect groups, also one-on-one with each other. And again, whatever stops us from meeting, expect it to keep happening. And so therefore, let's take the steps we need to protect us meeting with God. Amen? Friends, meet. Second thing, friends, communicate. Again, Ashley, what's going on here? Is this Captain Obvious this morning? Well, sort of. We communicate in a variety of forms. We catch up together, we call each other, we send text messages. Some might send a carrier pigeon. Good luck. But friends will always communicate. You see, in its simplest form, prayer is just us communicating with God. Ephesians 6.18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray on all occasions. Who's good at praying on all occasions? You know what? Let's face it, sometimes we don't. Sometimes when life is going good for us, we're very thankful that life is going good, but we put God to one side. Rather than thanking God that our life is going well, we continue to live our life until we need Him. And when we need Him, all of a sudden we're happy to pray on all occasions. How about we just pray all the time? Pray on all occasions. If life's going well for you, thank God, pray. If life's just average for you, thank God, pray. If life's really tough for you, thank God you're still alive and pray. Let's make sure we're praying on all occasions. Let's make sure we're communicating with our friend, God. But even beyond that, pray all types of prayers. You know, often our thinking falls into patterns and often those patterns limit us from what God is wanting us to experience. We're to pray all types of prayers. Now, growing up, for me, that was kneel down by your bed, hands together, pray to Jesus. Well, that's all fine, but like three minutes max and I'm done. More like three seconds as a young person. But pray all types of prayers, not just the bedtime prayers, all types. So we should be praying worship and adoration to God. We should be praying confession to God, all types of prayers. Have you ever prayed angry? I have. Can God, can I pray angry? Is that okay? He knows you're angry anyway. Tell him. 
No, God, I'm good. We're all fine. No. You mean you just lied to God? Oh. Pray angry. Just don't stay angry. Let God have the frustration. Let God have the angry prayers. Pray all types of prayers. If it matters to you, it matters to God. Keep telling him. Keep telling him. Keep telling him. But then stop. What? How many of you have gone out for coffee with someone? You want to have a conversation. And you're there just going, "Ah," trying to get in. As the other person is just monopolizing what's happening. You've got a really good point. You're, ah. Oh, ba 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 ba. Three minutes later, it's like, oh, I knew you were going to say. It doesn't matter now. Don't monopolize the conversation with God. Allow God to speak into your life. And let's pray all kinds of prayers. Remember, we're talking today about God has positionally made us a friend. How do we practically be a friend back to God? Number three, friends are loyal. Friends stick with you in tough times, whatever you're walking through. In Deuteronomy 7, 9, it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Wow, Deuteronomy We're going old school this morning. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. If you've ever read Deuteronomy or if you've ever read the first five books of the Bible, you get to Deuteronomy and you go, but haven't I read all this before in the previous four books? And the answer is, yes, you have for the most part. But the reason why it's being said again, the Israelites were in Egypt. Remember the 10 plagues that happened? They came out of Egypt and they were in the desert. A journey that should have taken 11 days took 40 years. Why? Not because God was disloyal, because the Israelites were disloyal. Why did this needed why did this law needed to be said again? Because it's being said to a different audience. They're just about to go into the promised land. And so it's the reminder, hey, God has done this for us. Let's make sure that we hold on to him. See, the question that comes out is, what do you do in your desert? You see, we all go through desert times. We all go through times in our life where things are just tough and you're pushing. But what do you do in your desert? The Israelites weren't loyal to God. They grumbled, they whinged, they hated the food, they wished they could go back. And so the journey got extended. The Israelites weren't loyal to God. Are you being loyal in your desert place? When you're in the desert, when you're in that tough time, is that the time that you just grumble about God? Is that the time where it's just like, hey, God, I'm a Christian, this shouldn't be happening to me? 
Or are you still a loyal friend to God? Hey, God, this sucks. I don't get it. But help me. Help my understanding. Help me through this desert place. When you're in your desert, do you just look for the first exit? Or are you willing to stay with God to the promised land? Often, our natural tendency will be to take the first exit and get out of there. But if you do that, you may miss where God is actually wanting to take you. How about we be loyal to him, even in our desert places? Fourthly, friends are trustworthy. We share all of our hopes and our dreams with our friends. We ask our friends for wisdom and perspective. And we expect our friends to keep that confidentiality. Do you know what? God does the same with us. Do you know that God actually trusts you? Just before Jesus went back up to heaven, he gave what's called the great commandment. Go into all the world, making making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, God has trusted you with the most important mission that this world has. But do you trust him that he's going to help you do that? See, friends are trustworthy. In Proverbs 27 and verse 6, it says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds of a friend? What do they mean, wounds of a friend? You know, I've actually worked for the church for over 13 years. I have received some of these wounds from a friend. I have given some of these wounds as a friend. Most often, these wounds look like, hey, I love you, but this is not helpful. We're not talking identity. We love you. God is for you. Let us help you. It's not about identity. It's about some of our activity that perhaps doesn't quite line up. Do you know what I've discovered as I've done this from time to time? There's always an enemy around multiplying kisses. And it's the difference between encouragement and flattery. Encouragement is all about the other person. Hey, love you, but what you're doing here, if we tweak this, then can I encourage you? Be a better version of you. It's about them. Flattery is all about me. Flattery is about my agenda being put onto someone else. I don't know about you, I've been in a few different workplaces and there are times where someone comes up to you and says, hey, Ashley, and right then and there you go, yes, what do you want? Sometimes that comes up with, hey, Ashley, you're amazing, you're da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Can you? Ah, flattery. 
to push an agenda. The wounds of a friend can be trusted. Why? Because it's encouragement for you. Flattery is all about the other person pushing their agenda. Finally today, friends are active. We've all experienced people who are all talk and no action. And it's frustrating, right? Because true friends are active. Who's ever helped someone move house before? Yep. Cooked a meal for someone before? When someone's hurting, gone over to their house, like got no words for them, but just there. It happens. Why? Because friends are active in each other's lives. Let's go back to where we started today. John 15, verses 12 to 15. My commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learnt from my father, I have made known to you. How do we show that we're friends of God? We imitate Jesus. We love each other as he loved us. We lay down our lives for him. In conclusion today, Tony often says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I am a friend of God. My future is secured. That mansion, it's waiting for me when I die, but I can experience it right now because of what Jesus has done for me. You know what? You're one decision away of being a friend of God or a better friend to God. Just one decision. And it's a decision that can be made in a moment. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 